0: Well, good morning, everybody. Glad to have you here and start the new year with us. Uh, If I haven't met you yet, I'm Scott. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I can't hardly hear that song without getting moved emotionally. For those of you that have been around church for a while, every time you hear Just As I Am, does it get you just a little bit? Mm -hmm. There have been so many occasions in my past where I have seen God do something very special in the life of a person at the end of the service when that song was being sung. And so uh, it, it moves me in that kind of way. And of course, in this new version, that line that says, I run to you, I run to you, really stood out to me. I mean, who do you run to? I run from people. But who do you run to? When you think about somebody that is welcoming, embracing, opening their life to you, you run to them. Well, I'm glad that we got to do that together. Thank you, Jerry. Um, In a moment, I'm going to be reading from uh, the book of Hebrews. So if you have a Bible, you'll want to open it near the end of the New Testament, and we will look at Hebrews chapter 11. I have been doing a little reflecting about you. As you finish a year and you start a year, you've been thinking about things. And I've been thinking about what God's been up to not just in the course of the years of my life, but throughout history. And I just uh, I can't get over it. That God would pursue His creation that rebelled against Him and rejected Him, but lovingly, graciously, full of mercy, pursue us to say, I want a relationship with you. I want to redeem. I want to bring you back to what I dreamed we would have in the beginning. And of course, that uh, all climaxed in the coming of Christ. We just celebrated all of that across Advent and Christmas. And as uh, many of you know, that after the ministry of Jesus and His crucifixion and resurrection, within weeks, the movement of God through Christ had tens of thousands following him within weeks after the resurrection. Of course, within just 300 years, the entire Roman Empire was inundated and thoroughly touched by Christianity, and of course, even today, largest, fastest growing faith movement around the globe, as we've talked about a few times here, 175,000 people per day come to faith in Christ somewhere around the globe. And you go, gosh, I don't know that I particularly see God's movement in such a dynamic way. Well, that's because you might be a little demographically and geographically outside of where the major part of the movement is happening. But as uh, we've identified, something over 80% of the movement of God today is non-white, non-Western and Southern Hemisphere. And so a lot of it's uh, happening all around us. And we're praying and we're working and we're yielding our lives so that more of it happens right here. Why? Because we believe that when a person comes to know Christ in a faith-based kind of way, it is revolutionary, not only to that person, but to all the relationships that are around that person. So as I said, I've been reflecting. And uh, last month marked the 35th anniversary of my being ordained to the ministry. So I've I've been doing this for a little while. In fact, uh, I began to think about some of the early places that I got to serve. And the church that you're looking at is the first church that I served as a senior pastor. Uh, As I've told some of you before, I was 22 years of age at the time. They had no idea what they were getting into with bringing me on board in that kind of way. Um, And more than just having a youthful idealism, I believe that God could take that 180-year-old congregation out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, literally, it was 11 miles outside of a town of 3,000 people. Out in the middle of nowhere. I believe that God could take that 180-year-old congregation and literally change the world. Because that's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel to transform a life, to transform a family, to transform a community, to transform a city, to transform a country, has happened time and time again throughout history. And I believe even in the most obscure place like where I was in western Tennessee in those days, it could happen. And so uh, I called. I, I led the charge. Let's be the people of God. Let's see God do all that He wants to do in us, through us, around us, and let's go along for the ride. Let's let's get in on that adventure. And I drove some of them crazy with all of that. Uh, and, and some of it, no doubt, was because of my youthful inexperience. But some of it was because I was calling for us to go beyond where we were currently, and that was going to necessitate some change and and call for a little, little risk. Well, this transforming work of God is set against a backdrop of brokenness, of a disconnection from God Himself. And that's a uh, part of what makes this so, not just miraculous, but marvelous to me. You see, uh, the Bible tells us that we're not only, because of the sin of Adam, in a fallen state. But that fallen state puts us so at odds with God, we become enemies to God. That's how broken this world and our lives are. You say, well, I I don't know that I've ever really felt like God's enemy. I've never really been like against God. But here's the rest of that story. You and I don't appreciate how holy God is. Mm. We can't grasp His holiness and His righteousness. And our sinfulness, our waywardness, is such an affront to him, it is so insulting to him, it puts us not just at odds, but it makes us his enemy. And he understands that. But because he's full of mercy, he doesn't treat us as enemies, he doesn't treat us in ways that we deserve, but out of grace pursues us, seeks to touch us, to forgive us, to redeem us, to embrace us. The Gospel of John articulates it so beautifully. This is a favorite verse of so many, and I uh, wanted to share this paraphrase of it with you from uh, one of uh, the mentors in my life who said it this way, God's care for humanity was so great that He sent His unique Son among us so that those who count on Him might not lead a futile and failing existence, but have the undying life of God Himself have his life. For everyone who would count on Jesus, you could have the life of God welling up within you. Now you know what it means to count on somebody. We all learned how to count on mom and dad to some level or another when we uh, were small and growing up. At some point, we began to count on Friends and we found some sense of belonging and some sense of companionship through all of that. Some of us married and we learned how to count on a spouse and we bonded our life to another person. It's that kind of thing that the Scriptures invite us to with God, to count on Him, to lean into Him, to know Him, to be relationally bonded to Him. And out of that, we have His life. When His life begins to course through us, The Bible says it brings His forgiveness to our sins. It washes us as white as snow. And we are no longer in a state of condemnation. Because previous to that, as enemies of God, we stand condemned. But as redeemed by God, we are condemned no more. Romans 8 says it this way, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, who are counting on him, who have his life coursing through them. Now, when we talk about what that looks like for God's life to be in us, I mean it's it's almost like the wonder drug that those in the cancer world have been looking for forever, that it can come in and it can slay what is killing us so that we have His life. It heals us. We already are sick. You go, well, I actually have it pretty good. I've kind of got it together and, and life I enjoy. And so we can't even begin to grasp in our finite thinking and comprehension all the good life that God plans for us that, that sin distorts and mars. And so He begins to heal us so that we begin to get a greater glimpse and a greater capacity to enjoy all that God has in store for us. His life in us heals us. His life in us stirs hope in us. And I don't mean that circumstantially. I mean that in spite of circumstances. I mean, even in the bleakest economic conditions of this country, even with the greatest sense of uncertainty about what the future might have, even with uh, crazed shooters doing awful things within schools and theaters and other communities, even in the midst of all that sick stuff, it stirs a hope in us there's a better day because there's a better way that's connected. To God Himself. And His life in us brings purpose to us. I mean, you, you understand that? That you are not here just to get a job, make a living, pay your debts, and then die? That's right. I mean, there's a whole lot more to it than that. There's, a, there's an eternal, meaningful purpose. That he has in mind for you and for me. And it's all tied to his mission. It's all tied to what he is up to in this world. Let me just say two quick things about that. Here's what God's up to. There's so much we can say, but I'll just bring it down to two things. And one is this. He's about seeking those who are lost, who are separated from him, so that he can save them. We were just saying a moment ago, just as I am. He's not looking for you to clean up your act and then you can find Him. He's looking to find you right where you are, just as you are, and to begin to connect His life to your life and bring His life into your life Mm -hmm. so that you are found. He's all about seeking and saving the lost. And He's all about then taking those lost who have been saved and preparing us to be with him, live with him forever in heaven. So that's what it's all about. Seeking, saving the lost, and then those who have been saved to be further transformed and prepared for an eternity with him. And there's our purpose. He invites us into that mission so that we become a part of all that He's doing in this world. We become in a sense His hands, His feet, His mouth, His eyes, His ears and He uses our bodies and our lives and our uh, circumference of relationships to carry out this mission in our midst. Now, the reason why I was driving some of the people of that 180 year old church crazy 30 something years ago it's because, in a word, they have become domesticated. Mm-hmm. Now, you know what that means. You've been to the zoo, you've seen wild animals in captivity so that they are no longer a danger to you, but they're safe for you to come up close, and look at them, make faces at them, tap on the window and irritate them. They've been domesticated. And friends, unfortunately, in our country, in our time, churches are filled with domesticated people. That's right. You see, we have traded in this dynamic, this exciting, this transformational, this revolutionary thing, this movement that God is about. we traded it in for a nice little sweet, soft, easy insurance plan, help me be well and, and, and wealthy kind of uh, misnomer. Now, that's not the way this church started, though. Some of you uh, have been around for a while. You'll recognize uh, a little bit of what I'm showing you there because in our early days, and we've, uh, we've just entered our 23rd year, In our early days, uh, we started with no people, no money, no buildings, no anything except for a sense of call that God was inviting us into the adventure. And so we were engaged in all kinds of things because we were part of his adventure. We were part of his mission, including gatherings on Sundays in various rented facilities around Redmond. Where we'd come in and we'd clean up a building that was dirty. Then we would set it up and then we would do a, a worship time together and then we would tear it all down and then we'd clean the building up after ourselves and then we'd go on our, our way to do various sub-ministry uh, kinds of things throughout the week. That's our history. That's our DNA. We have never been about having nice gatherings for nice people so that we can continue to do nice things. But we have been about the dangerous mission of God in the series. You say, what's so dangerous about it? Friends, from the moment that God began to make His call evident to me, and then to several of us, and then others of you through the years, every time we have been in following Him, meaningful to someone else, in the name of Christ. Helping their life, blessing their life, loving their life, embracing their life, seeing their life drawn closer to Christ. Every time that's happened, the Bible says that's like declaring war. And let me be clear, we're not talking about war against people. That's right. We're talking about war that happens in this kind of unseen spiritual world. Ephesians 6.12 tells us we don't fight against flesh and blood enemies. We're not talking about fighting against people, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. You see, in this fallen, depraved, broken, busted system of this world, there are evil spirits whose work is to keep us deceived, disconnected, to distort good news that God really does care about you, to depress and to destroy. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening around us all the time. And any time you allow God to do something of light and hope and peace and promise, it's like declaring war on darkness. It's like taking ground from the enemy. It is a spiritual battle, not for the faint of heart or the domesticated who just want nice gatherings with nice songs and nice talks and nice uh, people around them. This is about our being agents in the hand of God to see the purposes and the mission of God accomplished. Not only for the sake of His glory, but for the sake of our souls. That's what we sign up for right here. Now, when I say that's what we sign up for right here, that's not what a lot of people sign up for in congregations all around the United States. A lot of us sign up for I want God to fix my problems, I want God to make me happy, I want God to make sure I go to heaven. I want that happily ever after mm-hmm. kind of thing. I want a fairy tale. And what we're saying today is that the movement of God is not only this missional, world-penetrating, life-transforming, revolutionary kind of thing, but for us specifically in our culture, it is a move from fairy tale to fame. We're not going to buy into that happily ever after thing where God just makes everything nice for us. We want to live that robust, that dangerous, that risky, that see God do something that only God can do kind of life. And the people that have done that through time and history have a little record of that that I want us to just take a minute to read together. So Hebrews chapter 11, if you found that, I'm going to pick it up in verse 33. Verse 33. Talking about men, talking about women who followed God well by faith in times past. It is said in verse 33, by faith they conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness. They became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some, those were the good stories, some were tortured. Refusing to accept release. So that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And they were stoned and they were sawn in two and they were killed with the sword and they went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. You see what we're talking about? Risky. Dangerous. And obviously we live in a culture where the risk and the danger is at a level beneath what we just read and and the level beneath of what happens in a lot of other places in our world. But it's risky nevertheless. It's dangerous nonetheless. What's your experience of Christ and the experience of life like right now? Would domestication better fit where you are? Or determine missional engagement? I uh, want to remind us today that Jesus's purpose, as He declared it in departure, was this: Just as the Father has sent me into the world, I have incarnated from divinity into humanity, and I became one of you. I lived among you. I paid the price for your sin. I've atoned for your sin. I've made it possible for you to be reconciled again. Just as He has sent me into the world, I send you. Mm-hmm. It's a package deal. You don't say, Well, I'd like to have Jesus for heaven. I don't know that I want Jesus for all of his life, all of his. Well, it all goes together. Mm-hmm. See, heaven is all of that. Heaven is not some sweet bye bye and, you know, whatever your con- conception is of that. Heaven is Jesus. Heaven is getting to be with him, know him forever. John Knox, who lived in another time hundreds of years ago, was so possessed by this sense of what God's up to and what God can uh, do not only through me, but around me and in the lives of others. He was so taken by that. His prayer began to be this. Lord, give me Scotland. (laughs) Give me Scotland for Jesus, else I die. That's how... Uh, much of it became a part of his passion. You cut him, and that's what he bled. Give me Scotland, or I die. Now, what did he mean by that? Help me to just uh, overrun people and force religion down their throat and make them do things they don't want to no, know? No, that's not what he's talking about. Help me to winsomely let people see how great and gracious and grace-filled you are, God, so that their heart might be drawn to you. Help me to see Scotland have a day where many know the life that's in Christ and have the life of God course through their lives. Give me that kind of day, I pray. What would be your prayer? Give me what? Else I die. Give me my children. I pray for my children to know God in this kind of way. I pray for their children to know God in this kind of way. My family, my extended family. Give me my friends, else I die. I want to see my friends know Christ the way He's allowed me to know Him. Give me the Northwest. I mean why did you place me in this part of the world with all the opportunity, with all the beauty, with all the affluence? Why am I here and not somewhere else so that I can see the Northwest? come to Christ. I've got a friend by the name of Keith who lives over in the Aurora area of Seattle. He lives, uh, you go, why in the world would he live over there? Because he lives there on purpose. Just like I live where I live on purpose. Just like I hope you live where you live on purpose. God's placed us in places for purpose. So he's chosen to live in Aurora because he, in that Aurora area because he thinks that's where God wants. He and his family he's in his thirties, he's got small children It's not the greatest and safest place to raise children but that's where he's involved and that's where he's invested he's got a regular coffee shop that he goes to he knows the baristas by name regular stores that he shops he knows the people at the post office by name, hangs out with these guys so that uh, he was saying that this past Monday, uh, he, you know, because of the holidays, hadn't gotten his mail for a while or whatever, went over to the post office and got all this junk stuff and letters and whatever, and he, so he's flipping through all these things as he's headed back to his car. He's not even looking up. He's flipping through the mail, and he's going back to his car. He hits the button on his car. The door locks. He opens the door. He gets in the car, and right when he closes the door, he sees this woman walking right where he had just been walking. And somehow, in just that flash, when he noticed her, she noticed him, and she flashed a smile at him. And he just, you know, kind of smiled back, and then put his key in the ignition, and turned the engine, and and it wouldn't start. he was not particularly happy about that. He just bought the car last week, and um, a new used car. And so he's like, oh, you know, so he tries it again, rrr, rrr, and it won't go. And he shakes his head and looks up, and he notices this, this woman is now sat on a chair in front of store, and she's just staring at him. And in that moment that he catches her eye, she smiles at him again, that kind of, hey, honey, smile. Not that I would know what that is, but <laughs> that's what he said. So he said, I immediately put my nose down and I'm trying to really start this car now. And it won't go. And so this guy comes to his mind, Mike, who uh, works on cars. And he goes, well, it's Monday. He typically has Mondays off. Maybe he can come over and help me with this. So he picks the phone, gives Mike a call, and he just happened to glance out the window again. And she's still sitting there staring at him, smiling at him. So he hangs up the phone, he gets out of the car, he goes over to this bench chair thing where she's seated, and he sits by her, and when he sits down, she goes, hey there. And he said, hey there. (laughs) She says something else to him, and he says, just matter of factly, how long have you been working the streets? just went right to it. And he said, to my shock, she immediately went right to it. She said, oh, I've been uh, doing this for so long, and I used to work such and such a job, but, you know, I couldn't make in two months what my girlfriend was making in two nights, and, you know, I had bills to pay, and I had obligations to meet, and so on and so on. So she basically unpacked the little story about how she got into the whole thing and divulged her name to be Heather along the way. And so, uh, Keith is listening to the story and then he says to her, Heather, do you know that there's a God in heaven that loves you and never, ever dreamed or planned for you to be giving your body and selling your body away just to make ends meet? He has a great plan for your life. That's all he said. Boom. She had a meltdown. Immediately erupted in loud, sobbing cries. I mean, it's the kind of thing every passerby is like, you know, what is, what is all this crying thing? And she is so distraught, he's trying to comfort her, whatever, to the point that some lady that keeps it, she had to be an angel came by with two lattes. He basically said, Here, you guys enjoy a latte.
1: <laughs> and so,
0: they sit there and continue to talk about where her wife is and how it's gotten to this point, that kind of thing. It's New Year's Eve. She's out for business. And he says, Why don't you come home to my wife and my children with me tonight? Why don't you spend New Year's Eve with us? We're going to have dinner. We'll feed you dinner. We'll be glad to have you overnight. And if if money's an issue, I'll be glad to pay you for your time to be with us
1: tonight. Oh,
0: you know, she just erupted all over again. And when she finally got it back together, she began to push it away and say, I just can't do that. I'd, I'd hurt your family. I'd ruin your family. I'm not going to do that to your family. You've been so nice. Thank you so much. And she gets up to go walk away. About that time, Mike drives up. And he can't change her mind, and so he lets her go. She leaves. Mike arrives. What's going on? He goes, well, I can't get the car started. didn't even touch on the whole other story. Mike slips in behind the wheel.
1: <laughs>
0: Without doing anything to it. It starts. My friend... I, I don't know what you make of all that, but let me just make a couple of observations. There's a God in heaven that is so big, so great, so awesome, He can even notice a oh, heart straight. strength. He can even notice the kind of man that can speak into a woman's heart in the way that Keith did. He can see to it that Keith's car won't start and Keith can get it. Oh, I should talk to this person and take the risk to get out of his car, risk his reputation, risk whatever anybody else is going to think when this woman's erupting and crying and all this other kind of stuff that's going on, and try to share good news and grace and the love of Christ with somebody. My friend, that's that's part of the adventure that we're talking about. Where you have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that is responsive to how God is moving on people at any given time and you join Him in His activity in their life. You say, well, Scott, how many times have you had that kind of street corner kind of... Never. But I've got my other stories. I've got my own stories. Sometime back, I was talking with a friend great sales, marketing kind of guy, and he's always on, right? So every time I talk to him, he's on, and he's like, hey, how's it going? And he's got this kind of persona thing. And in that moment, I just felt like there was something beneath it all. And we were alone, so I said, hey, how is it really? And boom he began to share his story about stuff that was really, really hard. And he allowed me to pray with him right then for some stuff going on in his life. Now I'm not saying that about me. I'm saying that about God. That God notices what's going on in the lives of people. He cares. And as many times as not, He will take somebody like you and bring them alongside, bring you alongside of a, a, a person in need so that he can intersect them at whatever juncture with his grace, with his presence, with his promise. Stir a little hope, bring a little healing or a little help. And so, my question to us today, as we step into a new year full of promise and opportunity for the cause of Christ. Who are you and what are you about? Are you ready to embark on the adventure? On the journey with God? Will you be
1: the feet and hands of Jesus to others?
0: Let me pray for you. Well Father, it just it blows my mind. I just don't know how another way to say how it is just so awesome that you care, that you love, that you penetrate this world, that you make yourself known, that you mobilize your people in ways to continue to pursue the heart of a lost person. So, Father, uh, we freshly hear today your invitation to be in the movement, to go where you're going, and to be about what you're about, to be hands and feet of Jesus. So, Lord, would you continue to do great things? Would you continue to graciously allow us to be a part of those great things? And would you continue? To shape our lives into the likeness of Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. Amen.
1: All right. How will you respond?